All right, we are here back with Unlocked Football. Um, special guest today, as you guys know, our aim is to just provide value, provide information uh, for players up and coming. Whether you're playing football, whether you're trying to make a business in it, or whether you just enjoy it and it's your passion, uh, we're trying to provide value that will hopefully help you along your path. So the guest we have today has done so much within the game. Um, he's provided a lot of value for me. And I know with this um, chat we'll have today, he'll again provide a lot of value. So, Mario Halliper, thanks for coming on. Zach, it's a pleasure. Pleasure and a privilege, to be fair. Uh, and I wish you all the best with your uh, unlocked football. Hopefully in the future it's going to be what you want it to be. So, good luck. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It means a lot coming from someone who's, like we're going to get into today, the multiple businesses you've started within football. But before we get into that, um, for me, I think what a lot of us uh, football players, what we do after football in our other venues is kind of a reflection of how we are as players. I kind of recognize that myself. I don't know if you do, but what type of player were you kind of when you were younger, if you go back to your playing days? And uh, how would you describe yourself as a player? When I was younger? Well, for one, I mean, that's an interesting analogy because I've never thought about that as, you know, how I am post-soccer or post-football mm -hmm. compared to, you know, when I was younger and when I was playing. But um, <laughs> do you think it's accurate? I, I don't know. I, I don't, you know, when you say that, it doesn't resound really realistic to me for that perspective. I yeah. never thought about it. Uh, I mean, what was it like a player? My God, like it would, that would be best evaluated by somebody else. But I think probably technical... I'd say I was a technical player. Probably my IQ for the game was decent. Um, you know, it's hard to talk like that about yourself. But I think those are the probably the main stays in my game. I was always fit. You know, I was. I think I was a decent athlete. Um, I was never the fastest on the team, but I was one of the fastest. I was generally the fittest on the team. Uh, but I mean, I, I mean, I trained all the time. But and not even trained. Yeah. I played. I mean, I was a multi-sport athlete. So. You know what? I've never really thought about it. I have to think about that a little bit more. You've caught me off guard to yeah. say how that perceives the <laughs> well, way we the, do. Well, the only reason I say that is because I look at myself and you've kind of, you trained me and you kind of know what kind of player I am where, and maybe not player on the field, but how I approach football is like, in, if I analyze my matches and realize, look, crossing is something I've had chances to do, but I haven't been good at it. It's not good enough. I realize I have to pinpoint this specific thing and work on that until it's good enough. And so that's how I kind of approach other things where I guess it's like anything. You put in the work in a specific area and you hope for improvement. You know right? what? That's actually, uh, that's a great perspective. And you don't think about that now. You know, even just the first thought that would come to my head would be my, probably my competitive nature within the game itself. Yeah. It really translates to the business world. I mean, you know, in a, in a game, you know, on the field, I'm, I think I'm a little bit different than I'm off the field because some people would, we think I'm maybe a little bit mental on the field, but uh, uh, I mean, winning. You know, when I was in the, when I was playing, like I just I, I automatically I like it was just I I wanted to win. Yeah. And uh, whatever it took to win, it, you know, I wanted to do. But you know, when we when you look at that from a business perspective, it's not very different. Uh, I mean, I treat business the same way. I don't want to lose. Yes. Uh, you know, so whatever I've done, I think you know I've approached it the same way. It's that, and and I used to say, uh, you know, business uh, replaced my playing career. Yeah. Uh, from that it, it filled that void of uh you know competing for something and yeah. you know making something happen so yeah i mean that that part you know that perspective is good so i learned something today which is good mm. and i guess obviously the difference with business and football many differences but is there like a specific level of like okay this is successful this isn't like maybe there is maybe there isn't but um that's just a kind of question to, for our viewers to think about but you spoke a bit about the business um, side of things, so I want to start with Sportslink. This was your first venture, I believe, in business, and yep. soccer-related as well. So that's 30 years now in the making, Sportslink, right? Yep. So congratulations on that. Thanks. I mean, that in itself is a huge success and something to be, to be proud of. So you've impacted a lot of people within the community. But thinking 30 years back, what did you see in the football market that at that time I'm sure was much different maybe even non-existent um, compared to now so what did you see and how did you see an opportunity for this business to succeed there 
Well, let me preface one part, and, uh, and it wasn't, uh, it was uh, Barry McLean, who you know as well. Yes. Uh, it was Barry McLean and I that started the Sportslink, so together okay. we, you know, we worked together in the project, uh, you know, to develop it, and, uh, you know, he was there, and he moved on. Barry and I have collaborated on many things over the years in many different businesses, and uh, mm -hmm. so after the first year, I actually bought Barry out, because uh, he had another project that he wanted to continue to work on, so, you know, since that part, I was there, but even prior to that, to, to, to getting to Sportslink and getting it started, I mean, uh, we moved to a farm when I was 17 years old out in Petersburg, so we had like 84 acres of land. Yeah. And my dad and I, and I, I mean, I was the one that was pushing for that. And uh, we even back then, we went to the to the township to ask if we could put up a bubble, like a dome, because at that time, and they didn't even know what artificial turf was. Of course, we were shut yeah. down. Uh, we couldn't do that. But so it went back then. I think it was always my dream to... I mean, I didn't know the exact path I was going to take, but, uh, you know, I always wanted to stay in football because, I mean, that's that's what I love, you know, outside of my family. That's that's my passion. That's what I love to do. Yes. Um, the big part and, and, you know, getting to the sports thing. So Barry and I, you know, we talked about a lot. We, we, we basically, we assessed the need for, uh, there wasn't a market. You're right. Like there's a very small market at that particular point in time. There was a few retailers uh, that were soccer specific, JM team being probably the most notable. Um, and um, what we saw definitely a potential, especially for our area. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of it stemmed from me was that, you know, you know looking for uh, football cleats, uh, you know, we'd go to, and, and you know, Webco, who is not around anymore, they, uh, you know, they'd have three, three types of soccer shoes. So mm -hmm. we would, uh, you know, we go drive down to Toronto and, uh, you know, and, and try to get our equipment there. So anyways, we thought there's a potential for that market. But beyond that was, for me, I was like, I kind of planned that out in the beginning. I wanted to have like three stages. I thought if I could, you know, develop a retail business. Um, and then after that, it would stem into, you know, developing a soccer school, which mm -hmm. eventually did happen. And then finally a facility. So that was my sort of my three stages. And I think the business, the, uh, the sports link was a way to um, approach the, the customer base, which was, you know, players, coaches, parents, uh, administrators, yeah. everybody within the game, you know, would come into that fold. So I thought that was a great way to uh, to get them to get, get that going. Yeah. So you had the vision, obviously, then, which is thinking ahead, because like I said, that market, like you said, didn't really exist. So to get that vision in place, what kind of things that you can speak about in terms of details? Maybe there's contracts, yeah. connections with people you had to make, permits, etc. Um, what kind of things did you have to consider and then execute in order to get that vision up and running to the sports thing that we see now? Yeah, very good. Yeah. You know, it, it's I, I call I call football still in our country an unregulated industry. Uh, back then, I mean, it took you, anybody could do that. Uh, there was already a couple of soccer related stores in in, in our area. Okay. Um, when we actually went out, so we went to the to the trade shows, uh, the consumer show and uh, to, to get our accounts set up with a different brand. So Adidas, you know, uh, Nike, Umbro. Umbro at that time was the big player. As oh, there's a big one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Umbro was the big player for football, especially uniforms and things like that. Mm. And, uh, you know, we went down there and at the trade show, they, they gave us the bad news that we they were not going to open us up as an authorized agent because they said our area was uh, saturated with uh, people because there was also the Sportco, um, uh, uh, Webco, mm -hmm. the, the current stores, plus some of the soccer specialty stores that were around. Uh, so they felt that, you know, they didn't need another player in the area to produce this so uh, we had a quandary there at that point in time that we, we said you know well we need umbro umbro you know we got adidas we got puma mm -hmm. and the brands that are also big brands and now obviously adidas is a massive brand um we you know i had to i still remember it was uh, when we, we already had our location uh, where we are right now in uh, yes. terrace street we just had the upstairs floor and there was nothing in there and uh, so we you know i set up a table bunch of chairs so we brought the guy i asked we begged we begged the guy from umbro to come yeah. so i said let me make a presentation to you we'll make the presentation to explain to you how we feel we can get to where we feel we can get to mm -hmm. and i still remember that because the guy was an arrogant prick to be honest really? and uh yeah yeah where it did he like, come from was he even a Canadian at the show guy? he oh yeah he was a canadian guy it was oh. like he's out of bc i probably shouldn't you know i probably shouldn't say that kind of stuff but <laughs> the, the reality is we were at the show and you know he wasn't even paying attention to us like he was leaned back and he's talking to other people while we were you know presenting this yeah it irritated me a bit, um, you know, because I, I don't think that's respectful. Um, but anyways, we, we did convince him to. We stayed. We went after the show because we asked the lady to make another appointment for us. She said, there's no more appointments. Uh, I said, what time is he done? So we stayed till 5 o'clock and convinced him to uh, at least come down to hear us here. Yeah. So, you know, I put together this, you know, our business plan and shared it with him. And uh, we basically said, here's my, uh, here's our two-year plan. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
if after year one, we don't meet your numbers, we'll sign whatever we need to sign, close us down, shut us down, we're out. And then, you know, with, uh, you know, he had a big smirk on his face and he basically said, well, you know, you guys are a bit naive because the numbers you're producing here are numbers that are, you're going to be one of our top tiers in the country. And I said, I find that surprising. I said, because if we don't reach those numbers, there probably wouldn't be no point in being in this type of a business. I think the market share thing, there's a massive market share that uh, that hasn't been touched yet. And I believe we can do that. So anyways, we I think we, we hit the 60% mark uh, after year one. So after uh, that, we were their heroes, right? So, yeah. uh, you know, that was that would be one, you know, one one story that I could share that was a challenge of getting the business going because it's not just, you know, you would think you just open the doors. It doesn't work that way. And uh, right. but as far as permits and things like that, nobody cares if you want to if you want to start your business, if you want to start a retail business tomorrow. Yeah, you can do that. Now, again, there, there, there's there's a lot more uh, difficulty now with uh, supply chain, things like that and, and getting authorized agency things. But yeah, that's how really that's that's really the only main thing we had to have to deal with. Mm. That's funny. So, yeah, you spoke about Umbro being the top kind of football distributor at the time, but that's changed now, hasn't it? Like, I mean, you look at Nike, Adidas, Puma, yeah. I'd say they're predominantly more ahead of them in terms of, you know, popularity. Yeah, what, what I liked offer. about, yeah, well, yeah, the, the mainstream now, I mean, Umbro, the one thing Umbro outside of the Specialis, I don't think they ever had a real good boot. Um, yeah. So, you know, their whole, uh, their whole, but it was a, what I loved about Umbro at that time was it was very organic and it was very much about football mm-hmm. and, and really had, like, especially the uniforms and things like that. It was a real, like, it was a football story. Yes. Whereas I felt the other guys were more corporate. Uh, Adidas, you know, Nike, Puma, they're more corporate, uh, but they're a massive player, obviously. And financially, I think there's a lot more money with uh, some of the brands than others. Mm-hmm. And I think over the course of time, I think just the offering of what Umbro probably had uh, was maybe limited to, to the mass market. But yeah, yeah, at that time, I was really, I really loved Umbro. Yeah. I loved it for that because I thought it was an organic football brand. And that, you know, that resonates with me as a, you know, as a passionate person about the sport. So I always kind of cared about that. And I, we tried to... Uh, I guess align ourselves with people that had the same sort of vision. Yeah, I forgot how popular Umbro was to be honest. Even I look back when I was growing up, it was just a bit time after you had started sportsing, but Umbro yeah. was quite a popular uh, brand in, in football, so it makes sense. Um, so we spoke about 30 years now in, in the business with Sportslink. Um, Last, I just want to know there's been a lot of changes now in terms of marketing. We have e commerce, um, you know, social media marketing, all these things. How has Sportslink um, had to pivot or change a bit of what they've had to do or have what they've done in the past to continue to be a success over the time period? Yeah, well, I, I think uh, one of the key things for us, I think, our survival. Uh, the one thing that's allowed us to survive all this time is that we're adaptable. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, being able to adapt to the changing market is very, very important. But I think the key to that is also to maintain your integrity and basically the the people we are hasn't changed yes. and uh, our our approach to the business hasn't changed i think the personal care I, I still believe very strongly that personal relationships and personal service still has a place in our society uh it has changed because there's direct uh, and uh, you know we have created we have we have online business now a lot of like we have a ton of business that's online right now and uh but there's still that component of customers that come into the store and physically you don't want to chat with somebody, yeah. uh, a real person, not uh, not a computer. So, and then you know, trying shoes on. You know, we carry over 100 different styles of soccer shoes, and you know, you can buy them online. The problem is, what if they don't fit right? What if they don't feel right? Yeah. So coming in, it's a process, and, and fitting a, a, a shoe correctly, especially for for football, is very very important. Uh, you know, having shoes that are too big, too tight. Like, it, it, there there's a you know there is some art to it for sure, and I think that we take pride in uh, understanding that. The last part to that bit, and, and this is funny because we are known as a soccer specialty business. Yes. Um, just like a lot of other uh, business models that are developed, like we even from the beginning, soccer wasn't not the only thing that that, that we actually do at the Sportslink. Uh, we are multi-sport for uniforms. We, we do uniforms for for every sport. Yeah. But uh, the key is we have we have a ad specialty and a corporate promotions side of the business that actually. That's our that's our big part of our business. To be fair, okay. you know, people will say, "Oh, soccer is yeah, yeah." We're known for that, but I mean, as far as the um, 
the things that truly uh, you know allow our business to thrive it would be the, uh, the, the the corporate end of the business and uh, you know we have national accounts that we deal with and service yes. and I think we've taken that model of how we service our soccer market and we just basically carry that over and uh, and apply that to the um, you know to the to the corporate market and it works yeah. well which you wouldn't think it does no. now again there's some lo- you know I would say we've relied on loyalty and we've been fortunate you know local clubs Kitchener soccer in particular amazing relationship with what we have with that club. But you know we feel we deserve it because yeah. we've always been honest, upfront, and and very fair, and uh, understanding that we are in business that we have to make some money. Our margins are, I, I believe, the margins still in soccer are not you know are not really great, but it's the market sensitivity, and we have to be aware of that. Fair enough. Um, you spoke about friendly faces and being personable. Just for the record, I worked at Sportslink, so I was one of those friendly faces. So. Um, to say that I can maybe contribute to a bit of the personableness uh, that people see when coming into Sportslink, that'd be you know something I could hold to my chest. So <laughs> thank you for that. Um, but moving on, um, now we're going to talk about elite athletes. So this was another um, one of your business ventures that you spoke. You actually had mentioned it as a soccer school. Um, so you guys work with player development, um, both team, individual um, development programs, things of that nature. So. Again, was there a market at the time you had started um, Elite Athletes? And, well, for the timeline as well, how long after you were in Sportslink did you yeah. begin to start Elite Athletes? So, as I said before, one of the thoughts was to, to establish the business of Sportslink first and uh, to allow the uh, public to understand who we are um, and, and meet people and uh, get them familiar with the faces and get them familiar with the personalities that are involved with this, which I believe uh, gave us gave us the opportunity to start that next phase of the business, which is, which we actually called the global soccer in the beginning and then you know, changed the name over to elite athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the key to that was uh, I, I wanted to make sure we had some sort of familiarity with the people that we we're going to be marketing to. It was a very strange thing to do that at that time. So that's, you know, it's 20 years ago, over 20 years ago since we, uh, uh, we, we started the, uh, the soccer business yes. or the global soccer. And uh, I still remember uh, we started at the gymnasium at Laurier and not the main gym. We started at the gym underneath the, well, it used to be called Seagram Stadium. And uh, okay. we had 20, 20 males and 20 female athletes. Uh, Alyssa Ligonia was actually our first female. She was kind of our poster child athlete for yeah. elite athletes. She was great. We've gone on to have a good career too. Well, I would say, yeah, quite impressive. You know, uh, you know and I'm say. very happy for her because she, she was a, a very passionate person about the sport, mm-hmm. uh, very talented right from the beginning, uh, you know, and she deserves all the, I think, all the accolades she, uh, she gets. And uh, I think she's, there. she's had a passion for the game, and uh, yeah. she's obviously made a great career out of it. Yeah. Um, so you took the off-field venture, which was you started with Sportslink, yeah. then went to a bit of an on-field venture with elite athletes. So that, like you said, was always part of the vision. You know, to start with a retail store and then eventually go into on-field. Um, okay. So you see now there's a lot, there's a surplus of training services these days. Um, yeah. You spoke about it in private. There's academies, um, other training services, private training, studio, like you name it. There's a surplus of it. 100%. So in your opinion, do you think this is good for Canadian football or do you think this is something that's going to negatively impact it? I think there's good to everything, and I think there's some downside to everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, the, the good part about it, I, I believe there should be competition. Uh, I don't believe in a monopoly, and I don't think uh, it, one group should control everything, and that's the only place you can go. I think for a lot of time, uh, clubs, uh, not just local clubs, but clubs across the country, uh, I would say held a monopoly on where players could play. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, you, if you're going to play soccer somewhere you're going to play in one of the clubs yeah uh that has changed a bit now with some of the academies coming out um that now offer alternatives and i think the competition for that will hopefully make everybody better and hopefully make everybody try to do a better job and better servicing of the customer at every at every scale um the the downside it's an unregulated industry um uh, because i think uh you know zach tomorrow you want to start your own academy there's no problem with that uh, there's not a uh, requirement that states that you have to have this, 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 and that before you can do that. It's it's unregulated. My choice for doing our academy, and as you know, we've never had teams. I've, I've never run academy teams. Right. We've always strictly done uh, uh, player-focused training. Uh, it was all n- developed through the with small groups, um, 
uh, small group training, groups of eight, groups of four, mm -hmm. individual training. We always aimed at that. We wanted to be uh, a support system for the club uh, club system. Uh, the reason I thought there was a market for that is uh, uh, God bless volunteers, but a lot of times there's people that volunteer that have never played the game before, yes. that have never um, you know kicked the ball. Now, why I say God bless them is that without them we wouldn't have teams and we wouldn't have the ability for these kids to participate. However, the downside to that is well, I, we want the, the, the players to enjoy, but we also want them to, part of the responsibility would be to learn how to play. And yeah. once you learn how to play, I think you enjoy the game a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So coming back to the academies, the, as I say, I think there's good, there's a good for the most part is good from a competitive point of view. Um, I, I think the challenge has been sometimes the claims of what some people will say uh, can happen and occur through their model. Um, mm -hmm. And that's that's you know we, we've really we've always stayed away from that uh, you know what uh, I can't guarantee any one person where their son or daughter is going to end up playing to what level yes. uh, that's and that's that's a whole other conversation so and, and sometimes you know what that's that's not always been the case and I think but those for those things it's the responsibility of the parents and players to kind of research that a little bit more yeah and uh, and and just sort of live through it and I, I do feel bad because sometimes parents come to me to ask for advice and I'm going it's it's a daunting task now. Uh, it's very for a parent right now these days. It's very very difficult to know because everything costs money, mm -hmm. and I, I mean at the end of the day, I think you should get whatever you the, the best value you can get for the dollar. And I, I think the great part is parents. A lot of parents want to support their children in this, uh, but it is it's a maze. It's a maze to okay, where do I go? How do I do this? Yeah. What's the pathway to this? And so we're still we still have a long way to go. Uh, to be able to at least have a little bit more clarity for uh, for people that are involved in the game, for sure. Yeah, even I'm struggling to kind of understand it um, in terms of, you know, I, you know, OPDL. Um, I don't understand. There's a lot of things I don't understand in terms of what that pathway is from OPDL and where it leads to, and then the other leagues that are also affiliated or underneath it. There's just a lot that has changed from when I was playing. Um, but like you said, I appreciate the honesty because. Um, you really have to try and pay attention, um, know what's kind of most beneficial for you or your child or whoever. Um, but apart from that, if you can just touch on really quickly the actual um, training model that you have to develop. Like it's more than just starting an academy and we're going to train kids. Yep. There's more thought into actually how to develop a child of different ages and whatnot. So if you can just touch briefly on kind of what research had to go into it or is it trial and error or kind of what makes a model um, efficient for kids and you know as they yeah try. yeah all of the above I mean it's all of the above you know I grew up I wasn't born in Canada so uh, I was born in Croatia and I, I came here when I was nine years old I, I played on the street mm -hmm. played four five six hours on the street every day when I didn't have school and then uh, after school uh, I still remember we you know with the school I went to had a paved uh, paved soccer pitch yeah. uh, in between the buildings and uh, that's where we played and I still remember my parents would be screaming at me at the, from the sidelines to come home to get you know get home <laughs> to eat and you know, I pretend I didn't hear them but uh, yeah back then so when I when I grew up in, in that environment that I grew up in I mean kids are playing every day and it's you know four five six hours so uh, the game is able to uh, teach you our, our Canadian market is different, I believe. I mean, one thing, like weather is different, so we're, we're entering the yeah. great season of skiing and snow. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's a little bit more difficult, uh, difficult getting outside. I still remember going to Forest Heights when I used to live by there and uh, shoveling the, the, the box, the team, like the, the box so I can do some Just shooting. Yeah, but there's snow. I mean, it's one of those things, and it was, a, it was a massive culture shock when I came to this country because there's nobody playing soccer. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought, like, this is strange. But now we played road hockey. Just didn't play soccer. So yeah. um, the the whole objective, what I what I, what I wanted to build through the academy was, uh, I strongly believe in the technical development of a player, and uh, I thought we would have all the phases included in that, in our academy model that would do the things that maybe kids don't learn at the club level, and uh, uh, provide the training that will help them when they play a game or when they you know during training whatever mm -hmm. work on the technical elements of the of the sport first and uh, understand all the skills involved all the technique involved uh, because it's very hard in my opinion it's very hard to teach a tactical component until you're technically sound so if you know if I'm asking a player to you know open up and make a decision based on the what's in front of them if they still have to focus on how to control a ball, it's very difficult to do that, probably mm -hmm. impossible. So we always felt, okay, I want to build that. So we built our bases around that. I, 
I structured, a, I developed an evaluation system that wasn't based on numbers. Okay. And, and the evaluatory process uh, was based on comments and feedback. And, and you know, my partner, Andrew Warwick, at the, at the time now that he's my partner, mm-hmm. he, he, you know, he was, I mean, he's a lot more tech savvy than I am. I'm terrible with tech. Uh, we developed, a, even back then, we developed a, a really, really good program evaluation that we could, when we evaluate the players, would get basically a report card at the end of every session. Oh, every and session? It, well, so every session we would actually, either we would type, and we got into the point where we could do it with voice, but we mm-hmm. would, uh, you know, type a message to, so if an instructor was with that group, have your group of eight, you know, we type a message to every one of the players in that group, say, listen, this is how the session went today, this is what you did well, yeah. this is what we're going to continue to work on. We thought, I thought that was very important. Feedback to me is massive uh, yeah. in the sport. And I think getting even our coaches used to it and understand so a perspective of what are, you know, watching and evaluating what the players were doing wrong. And then at the end of the session, we would do a, a full evaluation and they would get a report card of everything they need to improve, everything they need to work on. Yeah. And we did it where we didn't, I used to do all, of, I used to actually write all that stuff out when I started doing camps for the club. And then I used to type all the stuff. It took forever, yeah. mountains and mountains of time. But uh, we got to the point where we could just click and identify what comment we want, and it was good. So, but it took a while to develop that. Yeah. And so I based my whole component on that, you know, the technical aspects first, and then bringing it up into the, a little bit of the small, small group-oriented tasks and uh, phases of the game, defending, but then giving, you know, support, cover, pressure, all of those things in a small-sided environment. Yes. And then sort of the next phase would be the game-related phase where we can put all of it together. So that is how I structured the, uh, the academy so that we can mm-hmm. take players through that. And... Um, and, and kind of go step by, it's like school, and I call it a soccer school. So That's what school. you said, soccer school, yeah. It, it's a building sense. block, and we called it elite athletes because our, our, our model was based on obviously establishing football because we're that's what we felt we we had a little bit of an idea about. Yeah. But then we would just basically copy and paste that model into other sports. Um, and okay. we did, we had some, you know, some work with it. It was just very difficult to find partners mm-hmm. that would sort of, be on the same page and uh, deliver the same sort of stuff that we did. So it never really ever took off that way. So we just stayed and focused on, uh, on football. Yeah. Well, you touched on it. You said soccer school. And after hearing about the report cards and things like that, it makes sense. And I think more um, people could, players, even the coaches could benefit from doing something like that just because as a player, you go to train, then you go home, you go training again. There's no, I won't say there's no, but they could benefit from an actual evaluation. Look, you could perfect this a bit better or do a bit better on this. So um, I like that. I want to go into now core, uh, yeah. the sports and recreation complex. Yeah. I'll tell you a story first. When yeah. I tr- I, um, I coached a March break, March break camp of yours this past uh, March, so a year ago. Yeah. And I'm just look, paying attention. I'm seeing, oh, we're in this facility core that you know your owner part owner I don't want to speak on it but like your facility the kids there are training with you know elite athletes uh, Kitchener soccer your business and they're wearing boots and equipment from Sportslink and I'm thinking wow this is someone who took football his passion and really made it into his life and is benefiting people within our community and made businesses out of it so I was like uh, that was an eye-opening just moment for me I thought wow and so going into core, um, obviously it's not just, I mean, people from the area, the soccer players will know it as a soccer facility, but it offers much more than that. You have basketball, um, mm-hmm. there was weightlifting, uh, like a fitness component, um, classes. So can you just speak on what goes into opening a facility of that size um, from the start, let's say? Yeah. So I just want to, I got to, I got I to gotta ask you a question. I don't Please. know if you realize we've sold core. I do, I did, okay. I did. Okay. So, okay, yeah, I do realize this, um, but still a, a good yeah, business that you the had. the idea it. behind it, yeah. So, you know, Core was, again, I would say the third piece, uh, like the, the third piece of why I told my wife the final piece of the project that I wanted to achieve. Um, and um, I think it was a culmination of all of these things together. And you've hit it on the head and you said, you know, you keep mentioning how it's good for the community and all that. And we do, bel- like, our objective in the beginning was obviously to create a business model and, and, and hopefully that we can sustain, you know, a living out of it. Yeah. And we do believe we've always done everything with the intention of improving it for our community. And CORE is a, CORE is a massive example of it. Unfortunately, not everybody sees that because some people will see it as, oh, well, oh, see, you got kids 
buying your shoes at your facility, training your facility, wearing your gear. Some people will not see that as community based. They will see that as me lining my pockets. So, but I think that like if that is not available, what where else are kids going to play? What else are they go- that doesn't exist without? And it has to be a business. It's not you know. <laughs> Well, that, yeah, yeah exactly. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just giving you the reality yeah. of what you know what we face in the real world, and it's yeah. uh, you know what. And I don't you know what at the end of the day, like I, I couldn't spend my time. I've had to worry about every one of those people that you know that think like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'd have gone crazy. I mean, at the end That's of the day, true. we did it with the right intentions in mind, and I had to put together investors to do core because it, it it wasn't just mine. I was one of twenty people involved. Okay. Uh, the whole strategy of that. Um, was I've been looking to, you know, I've been looking to build a facility for a long time. Mm-hmm. And um, I had to, that process, you know, what it takes to get there. I mean, I spent years and years prior to it even being open and doing things. The two years prior to the opening, I did so much research. And even my wife, Sue, she said, like, what if you guys don't buy this place? Like, you're doing all this work. And I said, yeah. no, Sue, like, we've got to, I got to do my due diligence. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a massive, massive task, massive project. And it's, it's a lot of money. I don't have all that money. I have to go out and I have to, you know, see if I can even get people involved in this. Yeah. My whole, like, and all of the projects I've done, elite athletes, sports, it was all out of passion. The one piece of advice I would give anybody else would be consider the money a little bit more, to be fair. Consider the money a little bit more than I did. I never cared about money. Yeah. And I still very little, uh, until I had kids, money had no impact in my life whatsoever. Yeah. Um, you know, but I think if you do a good job and you work, uh, I think the money will be there. Yeah. Um, I never put money as the first uh, first objective. The only difficulty with core was I was now responsible to 19 other people who have invested their money yes. and their their view on money may be different than mine, even though it's people that I know. Yeah. So the challenge of that was to balance my passion and, and, and we made it a mandate that you know, and the people are great. All the people that invested, like just, you know, again, uh, it's all people that I know. And it's all high, high level, high quality people, mm-hmm. meaning from a character point of view and a human being point of view that I always look for that first and foremost. And uh, these people were great to understand that we wanted to build a place for our community and for our kids, even though we were in a public facility. Yeah. Number one priority was kids. I mean, we could have rented out. You know, if we did this strictly for money, I probably would have had one third of the rentals for the kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, to what we gave them and just because from a financial point of view uh, the, the adult game uh, uh, gets you a lot more dollar uh, for the okay. hour so yeah. uh, but we made it you know that, that's one of the commitments I asked the, the, the investors to make is say you know what kids you know this is the whole point is getting kids back in there because we, we, we didn't have anywhere people are complaining all the time where do we train we don't have a place to train indoors indoors and then you start we started it and you know at the end of the day we you know we were always book solid anyways but there's always going to be people say oh my god that's too much yeah. too much money you can you know you're asking so much money for this well again i can't speak to that like it's just it's just i think it's ignorance personally yeah. um and uh it's something that i can't control how people feel about that but like you say i mean we provided something at a level that was made you know made it possible for a lot of a lot of our kids to train yeah um, and a lot of people benefited from it me included um what were the just really quick what were the day-to-day operations like um to manage facility of that size yeah it was unrealistic it was unrealistic so the first year of core when when we did uh operate i worked 113 hours a week for uh, 365 days a year yeah for the first year you know people go oh my god that's crazy but it's not crazy it's just it was it was necessary i didn't see that as a big deal uh like i was there every waking moment of the facility and after it was closed yes i just thought well we, we don't have the resources. I can't hire a staff of 30. So there are certain things I have to get done and develop the business to a certain level before it can go. The day-to-day stuff, um, you know, uh, and, and the new owners, uh, I think they're going to do a great job with the facility. I mean, they have people designated for this, people designated for that. You know, I mean, a lot of that, I did that myself. Plus, I had a really good person uh, with me uh, uh, who actually Christina and she did a great job, you know, and, and all of our staff were good, but just, uh, mm-hmm. she made a massive commitment all the way from the beginning of the time to all the way till the end of the facility, you know, to kind of outline the vision and actually do whatever it took to make it happen. So yeah. we were there many times that, you know, it wasn't pleasant to be there and not everybody treats the facility really, uh, really fairly or nicely. So, you know, those are the things that are a little bit disappointing about it, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, for the most part, it's, a uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it all worked good, but the day to day, there's just, it's a massive task. 
liability is massive. Um, there's, I, I mean, I think somebody considering, because you know, there's a lot of people now you know, setting up uh, different types of uh, outfits and things like that. Mm -hmm. I, I think uh, we got to be careful about understanding what you're getting into. And for people planning that, you know, we had a 65,000 square foot facility plus yeah. 20,000 of tennis. Uh, you're responsible for heating that, cooling that. Um, all of that, you know, insurance, mm -hmm. you know, and, and the figures, when you talk about figures, you know, property tax, I fought tooth and nail to reduce our property tax. I got to reduce $30,000 to 70 grand a year. You know, I don't mind oh, sharing that now, yeah. but you know what, at the end of the day, people go, yeah, that's 6,000 bucks a month that I have to come up with for nothing, like for right. unpaying property tax, right? And then, you know, any, all these expenses, they're not in the hundreds, they're in the thousands and thousands of dollars. So you have to cover that. So there's a bit of pressure to mm -hmm. do that. The reason I made core multi-purpose, yes. my passion is obviously sport, every sport, but it was multi-purpose. Two, two reasons for that, one was to survive. One mm -hmm. was to be able to generate enough income to pay so that the facility can go. My goal was to establish a high performance center uh, with the different sports that, mm -hmm. were, uh, that were out there. We had Matt Men Wrestling Club, who was a you know, perennial national champions at, at wrestling. They had kids that were gonna be heading to the Olympics. I mean, GSM Tennis, they had, we had nationally ranked tennis players through the facility. Yeah. Um, we, had, like, we wanted to build that sort of, that high performance center and have our physical fitness person do the work and all that. Yeah. It's, it's, it would just be a great atmosphere, you know, so you got a kid that plays in the national soccer team with a kid that's a national level tennis player. Yeah. Just the, just the kind of the aura of that and just that, you know, the training environment would be, uh, you know, would be great. That was one of the things I was hoping that we could, uh, you, we could sort of achieve. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, but we had to do, you know, we had a banquet hall, we had weddings at core. I mean, which is Actually, crazy right. to me. Like we hosted like six or seven weddings over the time that we were there. Well, in the uh, upstairs area. Upstairs right? area, yeah. banquet hall. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, we had to do all of these other things in order to survive and, and, and have the dollars come through the door that are going to be able to pay the bills that are required. Right. And you spoke about spending, what, 100 and something hours a week there. Um, Just for the first year. For the first year. But I guess a lot of people don't realize um, when you're starting a business um, and you're the owner, or, you know, the one running it, you're responsible for everything. You know, your job title might say one thing, but your responsibilities vary. And I'm sure it's a bit of everything. So that speaks on that 100 percent so now i want to go into a bit of some general questions because we yeah. spoke about your just expertise in football we didn't even touch on you know the laurier men's coaching um some scouting work and other things that you've done um which is crazy to believe that you've done all that within football so i just want to ask some general questions yeah. um what would you suggest to a child or someone who loves football is passionate about it gets to a point where they realize look I'm not going to be able to play this at a high level or college. I'm not going to be able to play this at any decent level. How could I make a career in this game for myself or realizing what type of role in this field is for them? Well, that's a good question. So you're saying about a, 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 an athlete that feels that, okay, I'm not going to make it as a player, but I want to have a different avenue as a, to, to stay involved in the sport in some yeah. way. So I want to be involved in football on a professional scale. I still think it's difficult in Canada. I mm -hmm. gotta, I gotta answer that that way. I mean, I think it's difficult because to create, uh, to create positions or uh, for positions that are available right now, mind you, it's changed a lot. There's a lot more opportunity now in in football yeah. to actually make a career or make a living. I, I still think it's tough. But I think there's a lot more. I mean, uh, technical directors of clubs now, uh, you know, uh, it's a viable living. There is a, a lot of clubs that are structured where it's not just the technical director, there's general managers, there's full-time staff that operate clubs now. Yes. And then one, one volunteer and maybe, well, one full-time person and a couple of volunteers. It's now it's, you know, staff, uh, full-time staff. So it's created a lot of jobs that way. Mm -hmm. One thing you have to marry with your desire to do a career in, in, in the game is to understand what those potentials are and your passion for that uh somebody so if you ask me you know what okay you love football you want to stay in the game but mm -hmm. if i had to sit behind a computer all day long and type crap out uh, even if it's stats uh, games all that like i wouldn't want yeah, to do it that, 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 that wouldn't be something i would, wouldn't be something i would be passionate about you know you know i've i've understood for the most part what i love to do the most i love being on the field yeah. I love being on the field. I love kicking a ball. That's, you know, it's, it's, so, it's so barbaric, but that's what I love. Um, so I've had to develop a business model and I've had to develop these businesses so that I can actually survive doing something that I love. I think the one piece of advice would be for me, like I did, I said, I'm going to do whatever it takes 
you know, whatever it takes to make it, you know, in the, in the game, mm-hmm. in that respect. But you have to be realistic as well. Because if you can't pay the bills and you have kids, you can't feed your kids, yeah. uh, you can have all your passion satisfied with what I love to do. But if you can't pay the bills, then it's a, it's no it's a tough go. Yeah. And I see that with, you know, today that the pathways to, you know, players making it pro and what they believe is a pro situation is mm-hmm. difficult. It's a dis- difficult one today to actually speak to. Uh, with the players yeah. that are involved but I would say I, I think you know what if somebody want, is really serious about a career shadow somebody uh, that that is doing something that you want to do yeah. ask if you can be involved volunteer some time say listen I'm really passionate one day I'm going to be your competitor but teach me some stuff yeah you know no problem I mean I've done that I've always been open door policy for that because yeah. I think I would love to see a lot more people involved in the game to make a living in the game because that's going to benefit all of us yeah rather than being the other way where you know you're going to be jealous of people or hoping that they don't succeed I hope that everybody succeeds in football because mm-hmm. if everybody does that just makes the game grow stronger and uh it allows us to to elevate you know that sport in the industry for sure yeah that was a gem of advice you had spoken to just now about volunteering your time and finding someone sort of like a mentor, someone who has experience in a position that you want to achieve or want to succeed in. So that's um, brilliant. I'm sure a lot of people will find value in that. So um, with the state of football in Canada now, we see the CPL, um, we're in the World Cup in a few days, which is amazing. Um, obviously 2026, it'll be here. So I guess a few questions. What do you see in terms of the future um, in football here? Let's say five to 10 years. And is it all positive? Like, do you see it just developing and flourishing? Um, you know, when we speak about European countries, we're a bit behind um, in terms of like development, maybe our league stature and things like that. Would you say that we're on a good pathway to getting there? And just what are your thoughts on the future? Well. I don't have a crystal ball, so I, I, I can't really predict what's going to happen in the future exactly. I'm going to, I'll answer that in the sense that I've answered that question mm-hmm. from the beginning of time, the beginning when I was involved in, in football 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, I hope it gets to the point that, uh, you know, the pathways are going to be created. We're going to have an actual real, you know, a domestic league and CPL is a good step towards it. Yeah. Uh, something that's recognized, something that allows our players to, you know, when you talk about Europe and being advanced, well, you know what? There's history. Europe has history, and there's people that have season tickets for 75 years within a club. Like, we don't have clubs that are that old here. Uh, we have three, you know, three MLS clubs in the country, whole country. Yeah. That's not enough. No. But at the sense, in order to survive, I mean, we have to be able to justify it. Now, if you look at the MLS, the stadiums are packed. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's tons of people. It's, I mean, I, I said to my wife, I, like, I'm so, like, you know what? It makes me happy. I barely watch soccer, to be honest. I barely watch soccer on TV. I watch extra, like, you know, I'll watch a little bit of it. Yeah. I'm around it 24-7. Yeah. So people go, you know, and, and there's a ton of people that know way more about, you know, the, the state of the game at the international level than I do. Mm. You know, I know the basics and I, I, I watch it. And I, and I, you know, to be honest, sometimes again, through all that, I go, I love watching this game. Some games I'm bored. I'm like, this is, this is shit. Like, it's, yeah. not even, it's not even worth watching. But uh, that's, and that's not a discredit to the level, but I'll tell you, the level of the MLS is extraordinary now, in my opinion, anyways, yeah. humble opinion. Um, the, uh, I, I don't think we can equate ourselves to Europe. I think we just have to build our own model. Yeah. I, I think the infrastructure, what we, what we have to do, I believe our players here are as good as anywhere in the world. Uh, you know, at the younger ages, I think our, our kids are fabulous. Yes. I don't think our infrastructure, including myself, as from a coaching perspective, is good enough to deliver what we need to deliver to develop players for, for a level that's appropriate. That's one. Two, our, our scale, and I know economy right now is, a, you know, it, but that's across the world. Economy is struggling right now mm-hmm. uh, everywhere, but we're still entitled. Uh, we still have, you know, everything at our disposal. Our kids, you know, for the most part aren't going hungry. I mean, there's, it, it, there's a massive difference. There's a massive difference when you get you're you're playing football and you get a you gotta get the, the only way you're gonna get out of poverty is to play the game. Yeah. That player, if he has to break a leg, he'll break a leg. Yeah. He is hungry. Our kids will not do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we say, Oh yeah, he's gonna go, he's, we're gonna go for a trial and you're well, you're setting a, a child up for disappointment and, and failure because they're ill prepared for what that what, what's required. And I'm not saying anything about our quality or ability, because I think no. as I say kids here I mean, I just don't believe the pathways quite exist yet, and I hope mm-hmm. they develop better. And I hope more of them open up so that our kids that are good and are committed are going to have a, a, a proper shot at getting there. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. 
Um, I want to touch on, lastly, too, just obviously we spoke a bit about you coaching at Laurier and then the academy uh, director job with Kitchener Soccer. So what do you think is most important in terms of traits in a player? Um, there's multiple traits, I'm sure, but when you look at a player, um, I'm sure you do you know, scouting at a higher level for university and then lower level in academy. So what traits are there that are maybe common between the two, but some that are just standout traits, you think, in a player? Yeah, well, that's it. Well, I did scouting for TFC as well for a period that's of time. Right, yeah. and, uh, I did. I did look that up. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, th that's a tough qu question to answer. So the reason I say that there's so many standards and levels in soccer and football, mm -hmm. I, I think when we talk about the traits, the first trait, and, and I think now in this day and age, the first traits I look for in a player are resilience. Resilience and character. That one today is, is a lot tougher. Yeah. In the past, that wasn't really something, and, and we always understand the mental aspect of the game is massive. It's, it's important. Without it, you can't survive. But it was just more assumed that most players have it. Now, dealing with failure is different. Uh, you know, societally, like we all deal with, like our kids are dealing with failure in a different way. Yeah. We as coaches have to be cognizant of that, in my opinion, again, and deal with them in maybe a modified way compared to what we used to before. So I learn every day I'm on the field. Uh, I always believe that's it's a learning opportunity. Uh, I've changed my approach to coaching mm -hmm. only because I think in order to be effective, we have to adapt. As human beings, we have to adapt. Yeah. I'm annoyed by it sometimes, to be fair. I'm going like, why would I freaking have to do this? Mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it's frustrating. But I'm going like, you know what? I almost want to say like, listen, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be playing sports. Like, just don't do it. And I go, that's unfair. Yeah. You know, we still have to try and support that particular athlete because there could be issues that we're not aware of. So, and especially today. So it's the traits that I would say you need those traits, the resiliency and the commitment level to actually training. When kids say, you know, we recruit for Laurier and you know, 90% of the players say they want to play pro. And I, and I don't know what that means anymore because a lot of the players today are being told, you know, you're going to go here. We're going to send you. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. This team is going to get, you know, we're going to go to Portugal and you guys are going to get looked at. I, I've never heard that before. Like, it doesn't happen that way. You probably know yourself because you've been in that environment. You know, if a team's interested in a player, they don't look at 20 guys. They look at one guy that they're interested in. Yes. Um, so, and what does pro mean? Uh, you know, pro to me, like, if you want to be a professional athlete, that would mean that in the next five to six years or eight years of your career, you make enough money that you're good. You don't have to be stressed about life later on yeah. because your career, like afterwards, you got to start from scratch. Mm -hmm. So having a, a background in something is very important. Yes. You can't just go into like, I'm going to throw all my you know, eggs in this basket. You're an injury away from being nowhere. Yeah. But also, what do we consider professional? If you consider professionally going to, I, I don't want to use any particular country, but I'm just saying using Czech Republic or whatever. It doesn't matter. Yes, yeah. Division four. You're a professional athlete, but you're getting stale toast and you're barely making enough living to pay your expenses while you're there. I don't consider that professional. Yeah. Now, is that a step to get there and the commitment level of the athlete? I respect that a lot, but there's got to be a realism because if you're doing that for three years in a row, you got to think about that and say, well, maybe this is not going to work out. Yeah. And that's, it, it's a tough one. So in talent identification, uh, I, I think there's a lot of mistakes made all the time because we we predetermine, oh yeah, this kid's got no chance. Mm -hmm. This kid's got no chance. And privately, I will say that stuff. I, I still think there's a, a basic predisposition of athleticism that you require to play at a certain level. If, if, if you're not built like that and you don't have that, you, you don't have a chance to play chance at that to. level. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what, why the parent would be disappointed when I tell them that. And I say, I can't tell you where your kid's gonna end up. But I'm saying, if you're asking me to make your kid for that level, I'm saying, I can't, it's impossible. Because I don't believe your kid how your athlete's son, daughter has that particular trait that's required for that level. I don't believe people always want honesty. I think yeah. people will say, yeah, I want to know, but I think they're excited for you to tell them what they want to hear. Yeah. So just to be clear, the aspect that you're talking about is the physical aspect that you think is necessary at a certain level. Like, yeah, in today's game, I, I mean, please, let's, let's be honest. We have, we have, we have kids that have now gone on and play it, you know, are playing at, uh, at good levels good, uh, in yeah. Europe. And, uh, the physical requirement, and I'm just using, that's just one piece. Yes. All I'm saying is to, you know yourself, because you're an excellent athlete. You're a great athlete. You, you can cover the field, no problem. You've got the range. Now, there's other aspects to that. 
-hmm. because like I think for you individually, I think uh, like I would put you up against anybody to defend one-on-one. I think athletically, you've got the ability. Uh, defense, you've got the ability. Now, there's other aspects to the game. Yeah, yeah. So you have to develop all those other aspects to make it to the next, next, next level. Yeah. But what I'm saying physically, if a player doesn't have those traits, like physically, even just the physical ability to move, agility, uh, spring, first step, second, like yes. it's just to get to that level, it just doesn't matter. You can you can juggle a million three hundred and forty-five times, mm-hmm. or you can do around the world five thousand times, or you can have really good technical ability. And, you know, the game has changed. Yeah. There used to be players that could survive. So we try to teach our players now. My foundation for teaching or coaching would be that listen, I want to make you the best player that you can be technically and understand the game tactically, so that if you are a half a step slower, you may be able to survive. Yeah. Because if you don't know those parts, uh, I, I don't know how you would survive. Because yeah. the game is too fast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I get it. Um, Mario, thank you so much for joining us today. You provide a lot of information uh, for people, again, in business, and football, all aspects of football. Lastly, I'll just ask you, um, this will air after the World Cup, but <laughs> with Canada and Croatia in the same group, I don't know if our guests know, but you're a Croatian-Canadian. Yep. So yeah. what are your predictions? I know there's no crystal ball, but do you expect Canada to get out of this group? And what are your expectations for the Canada versus Croatia match? <laughs> well, it's a good question. Mm-hmm. I hope that Canada gets out of the group. Like I, really, yeah. I think that'll be massive for our country. Yeah. I think to put us on the map of uh, the world. I think people are already paying attention, obviously. I think we obviously have players playing in some top levels and top leagues in the world. Uh, it'll be massive for us, for sure. To, to get to that level. Um, I think overall soccer savvy. I think Croatia's gotten more savvy than Canada does overall. But I'm not saying Croatia's gonna beat Canada. Right. I'm just saying that I think from, uh, from that perspective, the, the, the football IQ overall. But I, I and you know, to me, if you're gonna ask me which one is first, uh, I'm con- I've been here, you know, I've been here 47 years. I was in Croatia nine years. I mean, I, I know where I'm from and, you know, I, I remember my heritage. I mean, but I'm Canadian. Yes. Uh, I hope Canada wins first. Uh, and if uh, Croatia comes second, I'll be happy with that. If Canada doesn't get out, I'll be cheering for Croatia for sure. Yeah. All right, guys, you heard it here first. Canada winning the World Cup from... No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> Again, thanks for joining us, Mario. Really appreciate it. Guys, unlocked. See you next time. Mario. Good.